The following is a production of JSC Media. Stay, Stay ready. ready. You're listening to the People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. I'm thankful to be that I became a lawyer as my primary job because they are very flexible. Of all the things that are difficult, it is really nice that there's so much flexibility in it because it's so entrepreneurial and you're able to come and go and network and build your business and they're supportive of that. And that's been wonderful. Flexibility with time is just my ultimate number one thing. I think it's so important because I think you have to manage your time and manage your energy to be the best version of yourself. And that means the best version of yourself as a human to the people around you. And of course, that's gonna impact your business and your work. And I need flexibility in my time because some days I need to be at the gym at 9 a.m. and not at the office because I'm too stressed to get a productive day in if I don't get this physical outlet. Flexibility is freedom. Yeah. You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is Jay. S.C. Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, guess who's back? Hey now, my name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 107th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as J.S.C. Radio. (laughs) Hey, now, you thought I was gone, but damn it, not only am I back, I've got reinforcements. Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never flipping ends. In fact, it only grows and evolves over time. We enter what will be the fourth calendar year. Yes, I know there was a podcast a couple weeks ago, but that one doesn't count in canon. Okay, we're entering the fourth calendar year of this motherfucker, and I'll tell you this much. I couldn't be more energized. I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more fired up for what is in store for 2020. Of course, I got to get off to thank you a big thank you to any and everyone supporting me across all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, listening on SoundCloud and Stitcher, including, of course, get on Stitcher Premium. You get one month free with that promo code JSC. If you're listening on CastBox and tune in on Radio.com, on iHeartRadio, Radio Public, and of course, everybody, including the newcomers checking in on Spotify. Thank you. Damn it. Thank you. Be sure to follow me on the social medias at J Scott Smith. You can follow me at J Scott Smith, J A Y S E O two T's S M I T H. Same thing goes on Instagram. I am real J Scott Smith because I am the real, the original and only true J Scott Smith out here. I also want to make sure you follow the show everywhere. It's JSC radio. No matter where you look, it's JSC radio on Twitter, JSC radio on Instagram, JSC radio on Facebook. Be sure to lock that down be a part of the crew join the party join the movement stay ready damn it right here with jsc radio j scott confidential and of course jsc media because yes that is now a thing ladies and gentlemen 
And in the coming weeks and episodes, you will hear more and more about JSC Media. But please understand, the JSC Media umbrella is now open. And this thing is not only underneath it, it's the founding member of the damn thing. I want to be sure to shout out those of you who are thinking of starting podcasts, by the way. There's a lot of potential podcasters, wannabe podcasters, people who have podcasts but are trying to get them off the ground. I'm here to help you. I've set up a page on Amazon which gives you all the different things you need, especially for you beginners, you newcomers, you guys who don't have the massive budgets and have people setting everything up for you and they hook you up with studio time and all you got to do is just sit your ass down, write a few notes and start talking on a microphone. No, this is for the grinders like you and I who are out here putting these things together. You can go to the page on Amazon at amazon.com slash shop slash J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Let me say it one more time. Amazon.com slash shop slash J. Scott Smith. Get on there now. Get on there now and check out all the different things you can get to improve or help start your podcast. Tell them that J. Scott Smith sent you. Also want to shout out the man, Doc Illingsworth. Mr. Illingsworth, you hear his music. You'll hear his music throughout every episode of J. Scott Confidential. Big up to my man, Awesome Jones, whose track Blue Tracks. No. Big up to my man, Awesome Jones, whose track Blue Chucks is the opening theme to this show. I'm also going to have some guest beat makers popping up on here. A lot of them from the Motor City. If you want to get at me, you want to get your music on this podcast, hit me up at jscradio at gmail.com. Shoot me your music. If it works, Damn it, it'll sneak its way on here too. I will have my first guest beat maker pop his ass on this show coming up in episode 108. So be prepared for that one. But right now we're in episode 107. And our guest for episode 107 is an amazing entrepreneur named Laura DeFrancesco. She is from Westchester, Pennsylvania. She came on this show and I'll say this much. You may not know a lot about who she is now, but you'll want to know everything about her once you get done with this episode. But before we go into that, I got to take a couple minutes to just kind of let you know where I've been. Obviously, we had the special edition drop a couple of weeks ago on January 31st about Kobe Bryant, and that had to be done. But that was not a part of the canon, the list of shows. Coming up in the near future, we've already got guests lined up for the next few shows. And what the goal is going to be is to kind of treat these like seasons, like little five and five episode blocks, because there's so much happening right now that this show is a part of the bigger sphere of JSC Media. And for me to be able to do this podcast and do it justice, I need time. These interviews ain't just something you throw together. These interviews are hard ass work, my man. And it's a grind. And to be able to do that, I want to be able to be fair to the listeners of this podcast. So, yeah, there will be some stretches where we may go a couple of weeks without one. But it's all for the greater good. And I've got a rack of guests locked up, loaded, ready to go as we roll through 2020 here on J. Scott Confidential. Real quick before I go to break, and this will be a very quick one. We got to do better, black men. We do. Like, a hell of a lot better. Like, I've said this multiple times on this podcast in far earlier episodes, going as far back as episode 45 and probably earlier than that, truth be told. But this Gail King thing the past week has got to stop. The foolishness surrounding Kobe Bryant, which I kind of feared 
as I did that special episode a few weeks ago. It's got to stop. A lot of you guys ought to be really, really ashamed of yourselves for how you've acted toward not just Gail King, but toward black women and black men who dare to stand up for black women. I being one of those guys. Y'all need to do better. We as black men need to do better collectively, but especially y'all, because the ashy contingent on Twitter had themselves a week. The ashy contingent on social media had themselves a week. And that's got to end. Period. As a journalist, someone who got his first paycheck in this business at 16 years old. I'm 40 now. That's almost a quarter century. Good grief. That's almost a quarter century of me doing this. The only mistake that Gail King made was apologizing to a lot of you mouth breathers, explaining herself to a lot of you. What she did was what any respectable journalist with a half a brain would have done. Ain't no friends out here. Period. She did her job. To you dum-dums talking about they should sue Gail King. Good luck. Ain't a court in this country going to listen to that case. Period. It's called the First Amendment. You can't sue somebody for asking a question. That's not how it works. Y'all need to grow up. And black men, we need to get our shit right. Straight up. Because... The things I've seen said to black women said about Gail King, Snoop Dogg offering up that sheepish so-called apology, which I'm guessing probably came more as a PR thing than out of sincerity. It took him more than a week to say something, and when he finally did, it almost sounded like he was reading a hostage statement. Something tells me one of his management people or some of his accountants or a couple of people who are, who are brands that are tied to Snoop probably told him, you either apologize or that check's getting cut off. Do better. Black men, black women too, because some of y'all are also out here propagating a lot of that foolishness that was running around toward Gail King and other journalists. As journalists, the truth be told, we really don't owe you too much of an explanation for what we do. We don't owe you apologies for questions we ask. And truth be told, most of us don't care if you get upset. Because you notice out of all the people all of y'all screaming and kicking and hollering about Gail King, the one person you didn't hear from is the head of news at CBS. You didn't hear from any of the people she worked with. Now, admittedly, she probably rubbed a few the wrong way when she kind of threw them under the bus when she tried to explain herself. That is why I said, don't explain yourself. You didn't do anything wrong. But anybody who worked with her, they, were, they, they weren't out here saying she was wrong. No journalist with half a brain was out here saying she was wrong, including the black journalist. We're not out here screaming and yelling that she was wrong. At least no journalist who is worthy of their gig would have said it. You want to know why? Because she was right. She did what she was supposed to do. And I've worked in situations where I've had to ask some tough questions. I've had to ask some uncomfortable questions. If you're somebody who's an aspiring journalist listening to this right now, do not be afraid to ask a hard question. Guess what? They are doing everything they can to get you out of their face, and they will soft-shoe you and try to guilt you into not asking a hard question. My favorite part of an interview is when I make certain people uncomfortable in certain situations. That didn't happen this week on this particular podcast, but you get what I'm saying. If you're a journalist, your job is to get the story. You do it with respect. You do it inside of the lines. You make sure you maintain a moral and ethical base in how you get that information. But if you got to ask a question that makes somebody sweat a little, good. And all you dum-dums out here complaining about a question, saying she needs to apologize, she needs to be fired, she needs to be sued, 
how about you go soak your head? That's what I think of you. And that's about the nicest thing I could say because I've got an extremely respectable young woman who's probably listening to this and doesn't need for me to really go ripping into you, you Dender Mifflins out here saying stupid things about journalists and Gail King. Grow up, all of you. Black men, grow up. Smarten up. Because we, as a collective, and even though I'm not one of you ashy individuals out here saying stupid things about black women and stupid things about trans kids, get off of Dwayne Wade's kid, by the way, to Dwayne Wade's daughter now, Zaya. That youngster is a hell of a lot more well-rounded, well-thought-out, and introspective than a lot of you dum-dums. I don't blame Dwayne Wade at all for what he's doing either. All you idiots who are out here attacking black women, attacking trans kids, LGBT kids, all of you need to grow up, period. Speaking of growing up, we're about to have a nice grown-up conversation about business, about finding your balance in life, and about hard work. Here's Laura DeFrancesco. She'll be coming up here on the 107th episode of The People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. We will talk to Laura DeFrancesco coming up after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, J. Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you, with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like the Fantasy Footballers ad-free, or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course, JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium premium to sign up today and when you go there drop in the promo code jsc get you one free month of stitcher premium don't ever say i ain't do nothing for y'all remember it's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code jsc it's just that simple baby get on stitcher premium right now and you can get the best in podcasting Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to The People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F*** you. This is J.S.C. Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. This is the 107th episode of The People's Podcast. This is J.S.C. 
SC Radio, better known as J. Scott Confidential. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. want to thank y'all once again for riding with me as we officially set it off here in 2020. Again, want to shout out everybody who's checking us out on all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on CastBox and TuneIn, on Radio.com, on iHeartRadio, on Radio Public, and of course, on Spotify. Plus, shout out to Player FM, too, and everybody else, no matter where you are around the world listening to this show, and we are listened to so far in 15 countries, including the U.S., Canada. We're talking about Mexico, the, of course, the U.K. over in Great Britain, talking about Spain, Germany, France. We're being listened to in Africa, out in Ghana and Nigeria, all the way out into Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and so many places in between. What up, though, India? And I see you out there in the Middle East listening to us, too. Big up to you wherever you are. Hell, we got some listeners out in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. We got listeners out there everywhere around the world. Thank you for joining us, putting up with us, and no matter where you're picking us up, we certainly appreciate you. Of course, big up to my man, Doc Gillingsworth, who produces the soundtrack for this show. Shouts out to you, my man. Of course, to Awesome Jones, who does the intro track for the show. And now it is time to holla at Laura D. Francesco. She grew up on a farm in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and came up in a household full of entrepreneurs. Now, she eventually used that spirit to become an attorney and a master negotiator, but she wanted more in life. I met her through a business partner of mine. I saw some of her videos, and I'm just blown away by not only her spirit, she's an absolutely lovely human being. She, she's got such an incredible story, and I wanted to make sure other people got to know this. She joins the show to talk about leaving a gig at a high-powered law firm to become the successful entrepreneur and, of course, a hashtag girl boss. She talks about her path to success, which has been paved with hard work, patience, and shrewd moves. She went from being a part of a major law firm to starting one of her own, Dean Street Law, as well is starting this amazing co-working space called Flourish in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is where I sat down to talk with her. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Jay Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio, sits down to talk to the dynamic Laura DeFrancesco. Let's get down to business. So, Laura, it is an absolute pleasure having you here on the podcast here on Jake Scott Confidential. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me, first and foremost, and welcoming me into this lovely space of yours where I've been kind of blown away by just how everybody is so nice here. And it's just it's very welcoming and very warm in here. So it's always it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. The vibe of being somewhere where you can really come as you are is so important to me and what I wanted to cultivate in my space. So it means so much to me that you're able to come here and feel that. So tell me a little bit about Flourish. How did this, uh, how long have you been here? And kind of give me a, a little bit of insight to how you came up with the idea to open a place like this. I came up with the idea in July of last year, so July of 2019, and we started the build out in November, and it was a very quick turnaround. We opened January 4th of 2020, so just two months later, and I really needed space and community, and those were my two driving factors. I have Dean Street Law, which grew very quickly in 2019, and I needed space for my team. I wanted somewhere that felt like home, and 
And so I just came up with my dream scenario. If I could make a place that was all my own, what would it feel like? What would it have? And for me, that is Wi-Fi, of course, my computer, <laughs> my dog, plants, blankets, candles, really basically my living room, plus media studio and all of the other things that we need for our business. And you, you said you wanted this place to be like home. So tell me a little bit about what home was like for you. In general, I mean, and not just not just typically home now, but also like where you grew up. You're you grew up. You're outside of Westchester, Pennsylvania. So tell me a little bit about how you grew up and what what that was like for you as a kid. And because it seems like this is a it's similar to that kind of a space for you. Definitely, I grew up on a farm in southern Chester County with cows and horses and dogs and peacocks, and it was such an incredible experience. And it gave me such a love for the outdoors, so much so that I love to bring it indoors with me. And that's why you see that Flourish is a very lush and beautiful space because that's the same way that my house is. I need to have the outdoors inside if I'm not able to be outside, since that's my favorite. And it gave me such an appreciation for hard work and learning so much about compassion for animals, compassion for humans and our environment, growing up in such a space where you can just walk outside and run for acres and acres. So, because yeah, I've noticed even on your, because on your Instagram stories, you'll at least have one day a week where I'll notice you'll be out with horses, for yeah. example, because you love, you love horses. I've, I've seen Bear, your big friendly 75 pound golden retriever. <laughs> He's a lovely dog, by the way. And I, I have pictures of him up too when we, when we get all this out there. What is, what is it about caring for animals that just brings so much out of you? I say this as someone who loves, especially dogs. I've loved dogs. I've grown up loving dogs, loving animals. What is it about caring for animals that does so much for you? I love their unconditional love. I think that we have so much that we can learn from animals. They are so amazing, so intelligent. Their communication skills are absolutely incredible. They have instincts that so far surpass our own. And I have so much respect for all the different species of animals, and especially the ones that are furry and love to cuddle. <laughs> Those are my favorite. I wish that my horses could cuddle in bed with me, but sadly, they'd break the bed and maybe the whole second floor. Uh, but no big deal. I just think that growing up with such compassion for animals, I mean, it starts because when the animals are born, for instance, our cows in February and March, it's very cold, and so, I've bottle fed so many calves and like really raised them and our cows love us. Our big bull you can give a hug to. It's really cool experience. You've got like the friendliest farm I've ever heard of. <laughs> we have a 2,000 or 2,500 pound bull and he is just the absolute sweetest. He'll take feed out of your hands, come up and nuzzle you as if he's a big dog despite the fact that he's bigger than my truck. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a, he's a ton, he's one ton but he's all love is what he is exactly so you grew up you, you grew up on a, on a farm in chester county as you're growing up you want did you always want to be a lawyer did you see yourself doing law or what was it that kind of inspired you to want to go into the legal field yeah i have been attending negotiations since i was a toddler with my coloring book and my dad both of my parents are entrepreneurs and they took a very untraditional approach to childcare. So rather than sending me to preschool, they brought me to all of their business meetings with me, with them. And it was so good 
for an experience for little kid to be able to grow up in the business world because you just don't see parents taking their kids to work like that anymore. Mm -hmm. It's designated as a specific day rather than just all of the time. The and take I, your kid to work day. Exactly. And I learned so much going to work with them every day. And I especially saw lawyers as being really cool, innovative, creative people with minds to just work up these solutions that worked for everybody that worked really, really well for the person they're representing. And my dad always said that he wished that he could have gone to law school, not to be a lawyer, but to be really good in business. And that's why I wanted to become a lawyer because I wanted to learn how to think creatively, create solutions, add value. And you mentioned your, your kind of focus is on things like contract negotiations, it sounds like. Negotiating contracts is not the easiest thing to do. What is it about negotiating that an A, that you enjoy and B, that some people don't get as they're trying to negotiate deals? I think that a lot of people stand in their shoes and they only see their own point of view and they might see or hear the other point of view, but that's the limitation. And then you go, the really big solution to be really good at negotiating is to come up with creative solutions. Think outside of the box, throw something out there that no one's heard of, thought of, done, and you're like, well, this is your issue, this is my issue, rather than going path X, why don't we go past Z so that it creates a workaround that works for both of us and doesn't pose any issues. And that's the creative solution making is what has driven me so much to love negotiating. And I'm a friendly negotiator. I'm not the kind of person that you hate talking to. I think that there's a lot of stigma around negotiating in law that it's these two people across the side, across the table from one another, and they're duking it out, and it's really intense, and you know they're not treating each other really well. But I think that you get so much further working with people when you work solution based and you work in a way that's kind and respectful to everyone. It's almost like you get the the mental image of what you see. Yeah, as you mentioned, the two lawyers who are just at each other, or one guy writes down a number on a piece of paper and slides it across, and they they go back and forth. They're kind of undercutting each other, and it's a it's very combative. Mm -hmm. This one, it, it you you paint the picture of it. It can be a lot less combative. It doesn't have to be the cutthroat one guy getting over on the other. You you can actually put a deal together because being a part of a union, I've heard about the union negotiations that can get ugly and things of that nature. It can work in a different way if done correctly is, is what you're saying. Exactly. And I think that that brings so much more value to both parties because when I'm working out a deal, both people leave happy and you want to leave happy because even if it's just one deal that you've done with one another, the world is so small, you're going to bump into each other again. Or maybe most times the deal lives on beyond that moment. You're working together or you're transitioning something. And so you really want a good working relationship between both parties. So when you're able to re resolve something amicably and in really good favor for both people, mm -hmm. then it's such a better solution for everybody. So you've gone into law and you get into negotiation. What was, um, how old were you when you figured out this was what you wanted to do? I don't know the exact age. I know that it's something that was in my mind in high school. And then I graduated early, so I triple majored in international business, finance, and real estate in three years. Triple majored? Yeah. In three years? I did. How how <laughs> my one major in journalism nearly took me down so how, 
how, you have you, you got to kind of walk me through that. How did were you able to have any time to do anything other than just class study? Everything in college. Uh, what school did you go to, by the way? University of South Carolina. So University of South Carolina. So you were you were gang cop. University yes. of South Carolina. When you're down there, you basically all you're doing is just work, 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 and you got out in three years. Yeah, and I didn't do just work, work, work. I I mean, University of South Carolina is an incredible school, great business school, but they're also in the sunshine, and there's volleyball, and every apartment building has a pool, so I had a lot of time that was free time, but I'm just very driven, and I will say that it was such a blessing to have that experience with my parents as entrepreneurs, because when it got to business school, I mean, it was just coming up with creative solutions and creating applications from things that I'd learned so long ago or putting words to things that I had learned. So I really could take my education so far because I had such a good foundation in it early on. How was it for you picking out a law school and eventually getting into that that aspect of it? I've, I've got a number of friends who are attorneys and they have varying stories about how law school came about to them. What was it for you because you went to, I think you went to Villanova, correct? Yes. So you came back up here, went to Villanova. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you in law school in that process? It was a really difficult process. I was, I got my JD and MBA from Villanova, and I was picking between a few schools. I actually negotiated with Villanova for them to match my scholarship from another school. So if you didn't know that, you can do that. If you get, wow. if you get a uh, scholarship from another school and another school really wants you, you know, leverage the opportunities that you have and ask. It's all about asking, presenting an opportunity and not really worrying too much about what the answer is going to be because if you don't ask, You'll never get anywhere. There's the infamous phrase, a, cl- a closed mouth don't get fed, as my mother likes to say. <laughs> and if you don't, if you don't speak up, the, the answer is no, 100 percent of the time. If you don't, if you don't speak up, exactly. And that's what made me choose Villanova. I grew up loving it because my dad went there, my aunts went there. I grew up wearing Villanova with sweatshirts with holes in them because I wore them <laughs> so much. <laughs> so I always knew I wanted to go to Villanova for law school uh, when I decided that I did want to go and I got my JD and MBA there. And I think that it was an incredibly difficult transition for me because I graduated a year early. And so my senior year of college was my first year of law school. And while everybody was enjoying their senior year of college and this was, you know, social media was around, so I saw it all. Mm-hmm. Um, the I was just buried in books yeah, every that was single day. Just, that's just it. That's when the work really got got heavy on you. Yeah, because they don't really tell you how to succeed in law school, and they're getting better at it. They're definitely getting better at it, and they're do, they have more initiatives to help with that. But when I was in school, it was I was shocked that no one explained. Okay, well, a memo in business school means one page, and if you turn in one page memo in law school, you're going to be laughed at and you're not going to succeed. You're going to get a C. And why do I have to learn through getting, you know, a C on something that I need to do a different way? It's the, the a memo is a memo in name only. It, a legal <laughs> memo is a lot different. And I, But I get what you're saying there, though. It's almost like the trial and error. You're learning and you almost have to kind of go out there and screw up or they or they do, they want to gauge where you are exactly. rather than kind of give you at least a, maybe not tell you how to do it, but kind of point you in the right direction sort of thing. Yeah, it was a lot of trial and error, but I'm the kind of person that I if I want to do something, I figure it out. And it was hard. I had 
it was hard to fit in and I was crying almost every day because I missed South Carolina, I missed my friends and this was a fish out of water. I was really, really good at business. I didn't, I loved it so it didn't feel like work and then I was really nose to the grindstone for law school and then a switch hit me coming towards finals because you only get one grade in law school and that's only the final grade. So even though I didn't quote unquote do well on the practice. It was just a practice. Mm -hmm. And it's only your final grades that mattered. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to do really well. I studied 16 hours a day and got to the top of my class and I figured it out. And thankfully, I had the MBA as well because that really gave me a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. Law school isn't really built for the corporate attorney. It's built for the litigator. And again, that's something that they've transitioned as well. But at that time, you really were only going to classes talking about litigation. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. And the, the format of it is not anything that I do today. And so you didn't really learn all the things about business and negotiations and contracts that I would have liked to. And the MBA was a saving grace for me because I got to apply myself and like dive into what I love and talk more about the things that excite me and learn more about the things that excite me. What is it about, um, what is it about litigation that did kind of linger? Because obviously you said they teach a lot of that as a mm -hmm. part of the law school curriculum. How much of that carried over into what it is that you do now as in terms of understanding how certain things work out, but that's just not, because I know there's all different kinds of law. There are people mm -hmm. who, who deal with who, who deal with strictly civil rights. Some people deal with, with copyright and trademark and and there, there are people who deal solely in criminal law. And it's like, there's, there's so many different things. What elements of law school really carried you is because you mentioned the business aspect of it your MBA is a bit is almost like a bigger piece of the puzzle than even the the JD but how did that help kind of steer you or how does that or, or what elements of that are still there with you the number one thing that they teach you is how to think and that is something that you could you can't pay for I mean the amount of just you have to figure out a solution. There is no other option. You have to find an answer to this. Research and writing and creative thinking, it really teaches you a different way to think when you go to law school. Every time that I look at a document, it's with such precision with such detail-oriented analysis of figuring out where all of the different issues could be. So issue spotting and analysis are all things that they teach you in law school, which is the value of law school. But it's rigorous to get there, and it's oh, rigorous absolutely. to learn all of that. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And I, I think about that when you've, you've come through this, you've gotten an MBA, you get your JD. What's the, what's the job that's waiting for you when you come out of law school? Where did you end up going after that? I went to a big firm in Delaware, and I always wanted to practice in Delaware because they say that Delaware is the hub of business and corporate law, and so I was really excited. I landed a top job, and it was a really difficult transition because with big firms comes a lot of that big corporate law culture and stress, and I hadn't 
expected that. I didn't know anybody really in my family who was an attorney, and I wish that I had spent more time shadowing people and seeing what their lives really are like, because as wonderful as it was to shadow my parents as entrepreneurs, they had such limited interactions with attorneys, and those limited interactions were really the highlight reel. They're really the exciting moments, and it doesn't show the 12 hours, 14 hours. I've had 22-hour work days day after day after day. Brutal. Brutal. And it caused panic attacks and levels of stress that I'd never experienced that were debilitating and challenged me to refocus on my health because I was going through the panic attacks and passing out in the middle of conversations with people multiple times. How difficult are the panic attacks or were they for you? How would they what would what do you what would often trigger that sort of thing? Because I've gone through I've talked about it on this podcast of my issues with my panic attacks and my anxiety I don't hide from any of that what do you feel it triggered that was it just the simple stress was there or would there be a moment just like it would just all kind of cave in on you they never were so much triggered by things I got them over bridges going into work or when I was laying in bed stressing about the next work day or stressing about the work that I would have so there weren't necessarily moments per se more of just thinking of work and the stress load but I think that for me and my body at least I think it's different for everybody it the panic attacks were really a result of being run down and mentally stressed and I think it's my body's way of responding and saying flag thrown (laughs) you need to figure (laughs) it out red flag goes right up the pole like we got to get this taken care of exactly and I think it was my body talking to me and saying vroom (laughs) Like we we gotta, we gotta slow it down. We gotta figure some things out. We've got to work on our health. We've got to make sure that we have good mental health practices. And I didn't know about any of these things. I grew up going to bed at 4am and 3am because I love reading. And I was just a bookworm and tore through book after book after book. And then I wake up at 6am or 7am for class, you know, growing up in high school. Mm -hmm. And then I went to undergrad in law school and I'm working all of these hours and I had I was getting four hours of sleep five hours of sleep and you know you, at that point you were reading in magazine oh yeah these people are efficient they only get four hours and five hours of sleep and there really wasn't that education around the fact that you needed yeah this. that that four or five hours of sleep don't do that you, no, don't. you need at least I did I didn't realize till I was about 34 35 years old how much I underestimated the importance of naps, how I hated that I had all those years as a kid where I just disrespected the art of napping because at 34, 35 years old, being able to actually just take a nap in the middle of the day is like a gift where you really need that. Those eight hours or seven and a half hours or eight and a half hours, they do so much for you, not just mentally, but physically that you feel so much better. Truly. And when your body is sleeping, that's your body's time to recover. That's when you put memories away. I have a terrible memory due to my lack of my sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. for so long. And they also help your mind recover more than anything. There's so many studies that show that lack of sleep leads to Alzheimer's or um, memory loss or diabetes and so many health issues. And I think it was the lack of sleep plus the significant stress loads that I was on that really was what was causing 
the panic attacks. And I still notice that I'm more prone to them now when I, I talk about the cylinders of your health. Mm-hmm. And when your cylinders of your nutrition and your hydration and sleep and stress management and activity levels are not at good levels, I'm more prone to panic attacks. And so it's like the everything kind of stacks up mm-hmm. and it just it, it's like the pressure that you put pressure bus pipes as the phrase goes and enough of that pressure it's going you have to course correct in your body and in your mind is like you it I it's like hearing this it's almost like kind of hearing some of the same things I've dealt with before too where you start to run out of mental space and you just want to sleep but you can't you're working these you, you said 22 hour days I had days where I was going 16 17 hours mm-hmm. had a 20 hour day a couple 20 hour days myself those things were effing nightmares and you yeah. don't want to deal with that and I know with of all the other stress you deal with you're working in this this highly competitive industry and then these corporate law firms you're a young woman coming into a lot of these at times I'm guessing male dominated rooms and male dominated businesses what is this what was that aspect like for you coming in as this young and very attractive woman you you come into these businesses what is that as a woman working in that space how did that how do you feel that either helped or hindered some of the things that you were you're doing in law I don't think it ever quite hindered me but there was certainly a lot of harassment of course that you deal with and that is either someone directly saying to you oh you should marry a hedge fund guy professor says this to me oh you should marry a hedge fund guy because he's gonna make a lot of money and I'm like or I could be a boss corporate attorney (laughs) and do it myself and not need anybody a professor says this to you. Mm-hmm. This is so. This is before you're even into the business yeah. or into the into that side of the world. You've got professors saying, "Pardon my language," saying shit like that to you. It's like, yikes. Yeah. Okay. And once you get into the corporate world, I'm guessing it doesn't get any better with some of that no. nonsense. No, I had a more senior attorney, more senior associate who was a couple years ahead of me and I was working over 12 hours a day every day for four months when I first became an attorney and called me the B word and cursed me out on the phone because I wouldn't take on another project when I was already staying at the firm until 10 p.m. or midnight doing my own work. And wow. Yeah. Jeez. So and that just seems to be unfortunately that's almost like maybe not maybe not as much these days now but there, that seems to be some of the culture in some of these places, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I think it's a struggle in the legal industry that there's a lack of representation from female leaders up at the top. And so even when it's not outright harassment in that way, some of the policies just don't make sense. Like, for instance, at some firms, you can't get a bonus if you've been on maternity leave which means that you're penalized monetarily for having taken maternity leave that you have a right to, which doesn't make any sense. And the solution would be that either if you met a prorated amount of hours, you would get a full bonus, which other firms do, or if you have a prorate, if you met a prorated amount of hours, you get a prorated bonus to match that. Either of those would be good solutions, but the lack of representation at the top of the decision-making uh, executive level means that those things just aren't thought about. It's not even it's not even given consideration because obviously it handicaps women in that aspect because mm-hmm. a lot not a lot of men either take paternity leave or it, I don't think they if a man were working in certain places he wouldn't get penalized for that anyway. It's just like oh it's just leave he probably, he'll, he'll be good. Yeah exactly. It, 
So when when did you come to the realization that you wanted to do your own thing? Was there a, was there a particular day that made you just say, "All right, the hell with this. We got to do something different." Was it just a confluence of things coming together? You started Dean Street Law. What led to the beginning of it? I wanted to start my own thing when I was three <laughs> with the coloring book. <laughs> that was when I started to want to have my own company. And that's why I worked so hard and I triple majored in three years in international business, finance and real estate to build a really foundational, good foundation around those three big areas of business that I wanted to understand really well. That's why I even went to law school to be really good at business. And that's why I went and got my M- MBA as well to continue to build on that foundation and then every day I'm learning outside of that through podcasts and books and any information that I can get my hands on to learn more about business and be better at business I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and what and and that led to Dean Street being created and you mentioned it was last year with Dean Street too correct this is actually this week uh, February 13th is the one-year anniversary of Dean Street Law. That is amazing. Thank you. How has it been for this last year with Dean Street? How did, did how does, how did it start when this whole thing came together at first? What was it like for you when you realized, like, okay, I got my own thing now? What was that like for you? It's been shocking and surprising. In one turn after another, I am all about pivoting and figuring out what is the biggest priority of the day and learning how to cope and manage everything Mm -hmm. because when I started I expected it to be really slow year and I saved up over a year's worth of expenses and living income and everything so that I felt really comfortable to take that leap and then I started writing a book when an old client of mine reached out via Facebook and LinkedIn and said we have a team of lawyers here and we all need you and you're the only one for us. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, absolutely. And the year really shifted from what I expected to be a slow year to a very quickly growing year. And I grew the team to a team of eight in just a couple months. And then of course, we just grew tremendously with our client base and the deals that we were working on. I landed a $4 billion deal as my first deal that I worked on last uh, year. Uh, hold on, four billion. Correct. With a B. Yes. As in, I'm, I'm doing the zero count in my head here. That is, <laughs> that is, a lot of damn zeros. A four, lot of zeros. <laughs> four, four. Okay, how did that come together? With the, with, and I know with your negotiation skills, I'm sure that that's that's what put it over the top. How did you? How were you able to negotiate a four billion with a B dollar deal? Yeah. Right off rip like that. I. It really doesn't change no matter the contract that I'm working on or the deal that I'm working on. And I know that that's a lot of zeros, but it doesn't change the amount of attention that I put into something and how thoroughly I work through it and how I represent my clients. So I work on whatever contracts my clients need, whether that's a small deal for 50,000 or 100,000 or a $4 billion deal. And so I have a fortune, a couple of Fortune 500 clients and that was one of the deals that was in the pipeline and they needed help with. How does someone build a law firm? I'm, I'm saying this as someone who's in the midst of building my own much smaller thing with JSC Media. How does, how does one build a law firm? I'm just, I just ask that out of curiosity because I just see, I see something like this and I'm thinking this isn't like starting an Etsy shop or something. This is a, this is a really big deal and getting people behind you. And obviously you, people trust that and 
with good reason. Trust your ability to get this done. How was that for you? How did you make the pitch to get someone to come join with Dean Street? Yeah, so I think that my work speaks for itself. And so the majority of the way that I get clients is through client referrals and just clients wanting to continue to work with me. And so that's been my number one referral source. And then in terms of building out a team, I think about the legal industry very differently than it has been historically. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's a lot of challenges in the economy with technology and the cost of legal services that are going to make it really hard for law firms to continue to operate the way that they do in the future. And I just don't think that law firms, as they're generally structured, are really efficient because they have so many partners that it's really hard for them to pivot and they have really high cost structures for them just to operate. So I wanted to create my law firm very differently than what you typically have as a law firm. Rather than bringing on a team of attorneys because it doesn't really make sense, lawyers work project basis. So as wonderful as it is to be booming with business, you just don't know when these projects end what your workflow is gonna be like. And so rather than building out a team of attorneys to support me, I build out a team of support to support me. And so I have someone who does the finances, I have someone who does marketing, I have someone who does the employee management and operations. And so my sole focus is the legal portion. And then I have um, a couple people who help me with the legal team. But it's a very flexible team. I don't think that you need to hire someone full time. It just doesn't make any sense. And there, that creates a lot of opportunities for you to be lean and nimble. Mm -hmm. And it also creates a lot, a lot of opportunities to work with people who are really good, but might not want to work full time. And that could apply to working mothers or someone who's looking to go into retirement and has so much knowledge and is so good at what they do, but they don't want to commit full time to a place to work. And it's true because you go through a lot of the hard work when you're coming up with these businesses. And there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast, whether your podcast is your business or you're grinding out there and trying to start another one of your own businesses, start your own thing, get out from underneath that umbrella and really begin to do what it is you wanna do. You gotta put that work in and it can be a little difficult at times, but if you have the right crew and have the right people behind you like Laura has, things like this come together. Coming up after the break, we'll switch gears and talk about the importance of flexibility, not just flexibility physically, but flexibility in movement, in time, and being able to do things at your own pace. And of course, we'll also talk about her amazing work ethic and what exactly was it that led her to finally say enough of this and start her own thing. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 107th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. Have you ever been unemployed? Were you nervous, man? Yeah. All right. Man. This is JSC Radio. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. 
because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is the 107th episode of the People's Podcast. You're listening to J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here, and damn it, I am just enjoying this feeling of being back here at you guys. Again, want to thank you for listening across all your different favorite podcast providers. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can follow the show at JSC Radio. That's JSC Radio on Twitter, JSC Radio on Instagram, JSC Radio on Facebook. You can follow me here at J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. I am also J. Scott Smith on Instagram. By the way, I am verified on Twitter, so when you go looking for J. Scott Smith, look for the blue check mark and lock it in. And on Facebook, I am real J. Scott Smith. Be sure to drop a like on there if you real. Also, of course, again, want to remind you, drop a like on the show on Facebook at JSC Radio. So let's get back to this. We'll pick it up, our conversation that we had at Flourish, her business, her wonderful co-working space she has in Westchester, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. And we're going to pick things up talking about why it is, what moment was it, or was there some singular thing that led her to get out of working for a firm and starting her own and starting off on her own venture as she heads toward bigger things. This is the 107th episode of JSC Radio, better known as J. Scott Confidential. Let's get back to our conversation with Laura DeFrancesco. So in the year that you've, you've had Dean Street Law, you've negotiated some very large deals and done, and done really good business, along comes Flourish. Yeah. We bring it back to this. What was the day or what was, was again, I always ask this, was there a particular moment or is just like this was an idea that was building and you said, all right, now is the time. Let's just let's just do it. I needed space for my office, but Flourish is really something that I've had an idea for for a long time and it hasn't been a co-working space. But as I've said, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur for a very long time. And with that, I have had I don't even know how many countless ideas of what that could take the place of and community has been something really big for me and something that I started just with a blog and interviewing women in business and seeing what it's like to walk through their shoes and learn from them and then I also came up with ideas of different locations and event-based companies and everything like that and then this is really a physical manifestation of community that I've been building digitally through what was my blog, which I'm no longer doing, but also that community is still there to support one another. And it's also a physical manifestation of all of the things that I think I would want in an office space because working those long hours for 12 and 14 hours a day or much more, I it, it sucked coming in in an uncomfortable outfit working really long hours, not being comfortable at my desk because it was so corporate. And I didn't have a couch where I could read over a 300-page document or a standing desk so I could stand rather than sit all day. And I didn't have my dog, which is really important (laughs) to me. (laughs) And so 
I really wanted to create an office space that made me happy and that I could pop into that was really flexible, that could flex with my needs. Flexibility is a really important thread that goes through a lot of different areas of my life. So I wanted to create that space that was flexible to do all those things. I guess you can expand upon that. How important is flexibility? What And what other aspects of your life do you look for flexibility in? So many. I'm thankful to be, that I became a lawyer as my primary job because they are very flexible. Of all the things that are difficult, it is really nice that there's so much flexibility in it because it's so entrepreneurial and you're able to come and go and network and build your business and they're supportive of that. And that's been wonderful. Flexibility with time is just my ultimate number one thing. I think it's so important because I think you have to manage your time and manage your energy to be the best version of yourself. And that means the best version of yourself as a human to the people around you. And of course, that's going to impact your business and your work. And I need flexibility in my time because some days I need to be at the gym at 9 a.m. and not at the office because I'm too stressed to get a productive day in if I don't get this physical outlet. You have to get it out first. Mm -hmm. You got to get that that run in or that lift in or something to kind of get the energy out of there and and exactly. have flexibility is freedom yeah uh, effectively that's yeah. what that is it's having the freedom to do what whatever it is you choose to do and mm-hmm. being in a space like this it, it's i can see that i can it's it is very welcoming because i i've been in here once before because we spoke about a week a week ago or a week before this <laughs> before this podcast will go up and i was just taken aback by how welcoming it is. It's almost like you can kind of combine an office space with a bed and breakfast. <laughs> it's a very it's a very relaxing, very very weloming space. You have this this wall down that we sat next to, the plant wall, the, the, the living just, wall. The living wall. Describe that living wall because I'll have a picture of it up, but describe that living wall and how that came together. Yeah, the living wall is something that I've always wanted to do for the longest time. I love plants and I don't recall where I first saw it, but it's just an entire wall of plants and you can't see the back of the wall. And so I created it with my boyfriend by hand. We got materials from Home Depot and Lowe's from about 10 different trips there because you never know you never know what you need until you need it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was just such a wonderful thing because for me, it's an anchor point of the community and of the space to show how important sustainability is for us and plants and living a healthy lifestyle as well. I feel like it just shows that through its own manifestation of all of those things. So how did you find this particular space? How did you discover discover this area here? Yeah, my family's in real estate investment. And so the, my dad's a real estate investor and entrepreneur. And we have this property and we've had this property for a while and it was available. And so I was originally thinking of putting my law firm in one of the rooms and this is where the co-working space really came about was I was like okay well I don't really need that much space most of my employees work remotely and they I just need flexible space I also want to move be able to move around so I was like I could rent out all of the other spaces or I could just create a co-working space there you go and I had never really been in one and I didn't really want to because I wanted to create something that was from my own vision rather than just a replica of what else was on the market. Exactly. I didn't really want to be influenced by others' ideas of what a co-working space should look like. And this is turned, it's, 
it, it's like to get an idea of what it's like in here. And it's, again, it's super welcoming. It's like walking in, coming through the front door of just a, just a regular house. There's a stairwell. There's, the, 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 the young lady at the desk downstairs is so friendly. There's, ki- there's a kitchen in here. The, the, obviously, if you're here, clearly Bear is roaming around. And <laughs> I think last week he was just hanging out next to one of the people who was working. And it's just, this is, it's like walking into a home space, sort of. And it fits that vision that you described, where if you wanted just to sit on a couch or, to just, or have a standing space or something that makes you comfortable, this is a place to come that makes you a lot more comfortable. Thank you. That is such a compliment. That's exactly what I envisioned Flourish to be. And I'm so happy that that's the feeling that it evokes in you. And that's the feeling that I hope that everybody who walks through the door feels that they can come as they are, whether that's in yoga and a t-shirt or that's in your best dressed because that's how you want to be that day. But I really don't think that you have to look a certain way or dress a certain way or act a certain way to be really, really good at what you do and have a really big impact on this world and the economy. You have a presence on social media because you're more than you're more than just the attorney and you own the space. You you have this ability to get people together. That's the one thing that I've noticed about you is that people really respond to you, especially obviously women in business who are trying to build and get better. If you if there's a if there are women listening, there's a young woman, even young men listening to this, they can get just as much from this too. What are some of the things like say we go back to negotiating again? That is one of your areas of expertise. When if someone is trying to maybe start their business, they're working with somebody and they're trying to get that first contract together, get that first deal down. Say if you're just starting a business right now and you're trying to work out something, how would you suggest for the first timers? Is there maybe entering a business space where they're not quite used to going it on their own and they they don't have the the structure of a corporation behind them? What would you suggest to someone coming in cold trying to figure out what to do in business when they're trying to build, build those relationships and build up those deals? Like you said, build those relationships. I think community is everything. Starting to reach out to people and connect with one another and ask them to meet and see how you can add value to other people and how they can, how you can learn from others too. I always take every interaction as an opportunity to learn from someone because I don't know everything and there's so much that I still want to learn in business and there will always be. But I think creating community, and that's especially what we want to cultivate here and Flourish, is being able to talk to your neighbor and say, this is what I'm doing. Have you ever experienced this? And what do you recommend I do? Because I think we're all in it together. We all grow together. That's one of our mottos It's we grow together because you shouldn't feel isolated in working through those struggles. There's everyone around you who, and there's definitely someone else who's encountered it and reaching out. And I think that always learning day by day is a really important part of business. When you think of your career in business, what is, I like to go kind of what is one thing you're really proud of, whether it was from your previous life, whether what you're doing now, what is something that you're really proud of? And do you have anything that you wish you could have done better? I won't even say regret, but maybe could have gone a little bit differently, could have worked out differently. Is there something on that end? I am really proud of where I am today, and I'm really proud of what I've accomplished in this last year, but the thing that I'm most proud of is my work ethic and how creative I've been. I feel like my work ethic has helped me achieve so much. That's triple majoring in three years and getting my JD and MBA in three years and 
working really well with my clients and being so good with them that they needed me so badly they sought me out themselves and being able to create this team and lead it I'm certainly not a perfect person but my drive to continue to work hard and if I've got something that needs to be done to do it and roll up my sleeves and do it myself I was painting this entire space myself with our team because our painter fell through a little bit and really getting in the weeds and doing the hard work myself is something that I'm really proud of and I think it's taken me really far built this from the ground up almost in, in certain terms quite literally right. from the ground up here <laughs> we is did the, a lot of DIY <laughs> there is a lot of DIY and shout out to Kaylee Haiti Fellinger who's, who's talked about her DIY on this podcast before when you think about the work that you've put in the hard work that you've done is there something that if you wanted to go back and maybe either change it or think that this could have been done a different way is there something you kind of look back on and say hey this that could have gone a little bit better or maybe that could have worked out a little bit differently that's a challenge for me because one of my biggest mottos in life is that things happen as they should, which may not always mean that they happen the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. And it may not always be that you experienced good things, but I am where I am today because of everywhere that I've been before. And I, I really don't have any regrets because I think that my mistakes in life and my hardships in life have really taught me so much to make me better as a person and better where I am and be able to face the big mountains that I face today because I feel like as I've continued to grow, all of these mountains and hills keep getting bigger. And so my challenges this year are a lot different than my challenges last year and bigger than they were before. And they're continuing to prepare me for the bigger challenges that are out there. And I hope that I do face bigger challenges because if I didn't, I don't think that I'd be growing. Things that I wish that I had thought about more, I mean, that was hard being in my first year of law school and having left all of my friends and graduating in three years. And I love that I did it. I you know, got through school as quick as I did. I wouldn't be where I am without it. I do wish that I had known what I was giving up. And so now I think about things so much more through the lens of what I'm, what I'm giving up and what the opportunity cost is for making a decision than I ever did before. Because decisions are really exciting and glamorous and you're like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to go for it. You have to always think, and what am I going to give up to go for it? What am I going to sacrifice in my life and is that worth it to me? And that's a decision that everybody has to make on their own. And I do wish that I had thought a little bit more about the opportunity cost of that. And then also I wish that I had shadowed people. I wish that I had shadowed lawyers. Heck, I wish that I could send an email and I, I can. I wish that I could send an email out to my 10 favorite entrepreneurs and say, can I shadow you for a day? Because I'd love to see what it's like to walk through your life. Because I think when you shadow someone and you shouldn't be afraid to ask to shadow people, you learn so much more about the actual details of what they do and what their life is and what their hours are. I didn't leave here last night until 1030. Hmm. And a lot of people see so many of the glamorous parts of 
the business and they don't see, well, I'm hustling every day and I'm working really hard from the time that I start working until the time that I end. And that's some days that I make it an easy day on myself because I need a rest day. But other days, it's really hard. I get that. I definitely get that. Who are some of your favorite entrepreneurs? Lauren Everett's Bostic from The Skinny Confidential. I absolutely love her. She is so incredible. She is a boss and creative and unapologetically herself. And she shares so much good business information on the Skinny Confidential and the Skinny Confidential podcast with everyone. She's been someone who's helped me a ton through business. And I was just featured on her blog yesterday or Sunday rather, with how to find a good lawyer. So if you need tips on how to find a good lawyer, you can find it on her blog. And Jacqueline Johnson, who is the creator and founder of Create and Cultivate, is another favorite entrepreneur of mine. Warren Buffett is someone that I work look up to tremendously. He is the guiding principles of all of my investment strategy. It sounds like so you've got a lot of the right people in mind Thank when you. it comes to that. What's next for you? Because you've done so much in this last year now we're into 2020 what is what is laura de francesco looking at in 2020 and 21 going forward between dean street and now with flourish and other and your other ventures what is what's ahead for you my number one goal for dean street law is to diversify my clients so i absolutely love my current clients they are just absolutely fantastic but i have built my financial model for 2020 as if i am starting from a fresh slate and i think that that's really important for everybody diversification is so important and constantly expanding your company and growing in that way and so that's the number one thing that i'm working on for dean street law we're also building out the foundations 2019 was a big growing year for us and we moved so quickly and we focused on what was important and we just didn't have the time to build in the systems and the efficiencies and making sure that we are using our team to the best of our ability. And so 2020 is a big foundational year. We're going to be building out the blueprint for how we started Flourish co-working space and considering an opportunity for Flourish Coworking Space 2.0. Space is, yeah. plural. Yes, oh my gosh, I would absolutely love that. I think it's so important though, I am a big proponent of self-funding, and so my company will grow as quickly as it grows. It will grow as it feeds itself, and I think that's really important because I want Flourish 2.0 and the third location to come when Flourish is ready for that and when it's supporting itself because it creates undue stress on you when you have investors to pay back or loans to pay back. And I think it's really good to let Flourish grow as it should. And then, of course, we're launching the Tea and Toast podcast soon with my sisters, Lisa and Lindsay, that I'm really excited about. I have been writing a book and that I started it when I, before I started Dean Street Law. And I thought that it was gonna be a really slow year, and so I thought that creating a book that was really valuable would position me as an expert in the field and would market Dean Street Law. So 2020 is all about creating the ideas that I had to grow my law firm before the law firm grew. <laughs> grew on its own. <laughs> <laughs> before it exploded on its own. Um, so. 
there's also, I think, a solution that I really want to deliver to the business community of having courses in law because you should be able to learn how to negotiate and you should be able to learn how to think more critically about your contracts and the deals that you're entering into and how to protect yourself from liability. And it's really expensive to get a lawyer. And that's a really difficult thing because so many small businesses can't afford a lawyer or at least can't afford a lawyer on every single transaction they work on, but they need to be educated on how they can represent themselves and how they can be better entering into those contracts and protecting themselves. And one final thing as we start to wrap this up, I was doing my research on you and I stumbled across that at one time you were runner up in, I think it was the Miss Pennsylvania pageant. Yes. How did how did that opportunity come about? What was that experience like for you? Miss Pennsylvania USA was one of my absolute favorite experiences. I love pageants. I think that they are so valuable and such a good experience to help you understand how to present yourself and how to market yourself and how to share your story with the world. And you are so good at this. This is a talent that you have sharing your story. And it's difficult when you have a panel of judges and they will see you for less than five minutes before they determine who the top five is out of 75 girls. And so you really have to think about how every single piece of your presentation, whether that's the words that you use or how you speak or how you hold yourself and how you walk, how that impacts someone's ability to see your story and understand who you are in a very quick period of time. And that doesn't mean that you should walk a certain way or talk a certain way. It just means that you have to understand that your communication of who you are is very fleeting in certain moments. And your ability to get across who you are is really important because every single person is just an amazing, wonderful person in their own right. And I would love that if more people knew how to share who they are with the world and doing it quickly that's what we that's often called the elevator pitch yeah what would you say to somebody if you're on an elevator with them and you may have no more than two or three minutes to get that point across to them before those doors open back up and you kind of part ways i, I didn't even think about it that way i know when i a, a while back when i talked to dr jennifer caudle she was miss iowa at one point in time and she kind of gave me the same breakdown on what it was like for her with the pageant life and when she won she ended up touring all over the state of iowa and getting to know people and that's where it also kind of helped her become more, not just of a media personality, but a better doctor. And I can see where that obviously worked for you too because of the way that you carry yourself. You're very, you're, you're very pleasant, very friendly. You greet everybody with a smile and there's, there's a lot of positive energy that comes off of you. But at the same time, you're also about your business mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're not to be, and you're certainly to be taken seriously whenever you come into a room. I can see where that was cultivated there too. Thank you. It, it's as, This has been, I will say this, tell those who are listening a little bit more about Flourish. And if you're in the Philadelphia area, if you're, if you're nearby in Maryland or Delaware, how can people get here and what can they expect when they come to Flourish? Absolutely. Flourish Coworking Space is a beautiful, lush, inspiring co-working space in Westchester, Pennsylvania, where if you need to have events or you'd like a space to co-work or you'd like a community of business people, we welcome people to come as they are because we all think that we can grow together. And you can follow us on Instagram at Flourish Westchester or visit our website, 
www.flourishcoworking.com and you'll see all of our list of events. We have events a couple times a month for you to be able to come in and then we're also able to host events here. If you'd like to do that, you can rent out space, you can rent out our podcast studio or our media studio for video and audio recording or host a dinner here or a networking event, a business conference or workshop or even a wedding. Someone's talking about hosting a wedding here. I can see that living wall coming into play. And I, <laughs> very, very well. There's also a, in the main floor downstairs, the word flourish is like across one of the, uh, it's almost like a gazebo type of setup out there. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool space and you can do You can do this year round. We're in the middle of February where, right. but people can still step in here and it's still a very warm and inviting place. And, and also about Dean street law where, yeah. it, it, where she heads a blog, find a good lawyer. You're 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 a really good lawyer. How would people get in contact with you if they wanted to do if they wanted to be a possible client with Dean Street? Yeah, absolutely. We are on Instagram as well at Dean Street Law, and my personal one is at Laura M D Francesco. But really, the best way to find us is through our website, deanstreetlaw.com. And if you'd like to email me, you can include it in your show notes. It's ldfrancesco at deanstreetlaw.com. I'm always happy to listen to what someone is going through and need to talk about. And even if it's not an area of law that I specialize in, I would be happy to point someone in the right direction of who they can get in touch with because I know it's hard when you're going through something that's challenging and you don't know who you should go to and not having a resource for that. So I always provide free 15-minute consultations, and you can go on my website and schedule a consultation and be happy to give you an estimate of how much the work would be and what it would look like to work together. What's the email again? ldfrancesco at deanstreetlaw.com. And if you'd like to reach out to me, I'm happy to be a sounding board for people. And, you know, I don't mind if it's a question that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to work with me right this second. But, you know, a big part of being a lawyer is being a confident and trusted advisor for businesses who are going through a variety of different issues. And so I work with executives in a lot of different things that are business and law mixed. There are, there are misconceptions about lawyers at times mm-hmm. about the about in cases of whether they actually care about their clients and, and and things that they take and things that they do the attitude that lawyers have in a lot of cases because I always feel like attorneys and journalists are kind of kindred spirits because we're both dealing with so much stress and so and just so much happening that at times I think attorneys kind of get a bit of a bad rap when it comes to you see some of maybe the high profile ones who are some people who are a little unscrupulous when there's more people like you who really are just out here because you want to help somebody. You really care about people. It's not just about getting paid and taking somebody's case. Right. I think it's so important that you find an attorney that's on your side that can represent you really well, but of course that cares about you. That's so important. I love business and I love my clients, and it's really important that you have that connection with your your attorney because they're an important advisor in your business and in your life. Laura DeFrancesco, I cannot tell you how much i appreciate this this is such a this is such a cool space thank you this is such a cool space and i am so appreciative that you took the time to talk to me here on j scott confidential better known as jsc radio thank you so much for coming on with me and welcoming me into your wonderful business and i'm looking forward to seeing the response to this because you're you're a really dynamic person and i think a lot of people will really get a lot from this conversation that we've had today thank you so much for having me thank you it was such a wonderful conversation i really appreciate it and there you have it i want to thank laura de francesco and everyone over at flourish when i tell you that the people in that building 
are some of the nicest, most hospitable. I told Laura this after we got done having that conversation and after the mics were shut off, that even though that's a business, it feels like she welcomed you into your into her own home. They were just as cordial and nice. Her sister Lindsay was there. And of course, Bear, her 75-pound golden retriever, who couldn't have been a sweeter dog and couldn't have been a nicer guy. Wish he could have hung around a little longer in there while we were doing the interview. Bear is awesome. That's a hell of a mascot to have around there. Again, be sure if you are in the Philadelphia region, whether you're in southeastern PA or Delaware, because Delaware's border is not that far from where she is. You're whether southeastern PA, Delaware, South Jersey. Be sure to show up and show love at flourish it's an amazing space you can record podcasts there you can hold meetings there you can have speaking engagements i will be doing some stuff there with flourish and you should be too be sure to hit up laura for any information plus she just has a a wealth of knowledge about everything from intellectual property to of course law to starting your own business she's great to talk to and i would be i would be remiss if i didn't tell you to follow her on instagram at laura m d francesco d francesco spelled D-R-F-A-N-C-E-S-C-O. That's all one word. Laura M, as in Matthew, D. Francesco. Once again, I want to thank y'all for showing all the love to the show as we enter year number four, the fourth calendar year. Actually, no, this is 16, 17, 18, 19. This is the fifth calendar year. What the hell am I thinking about? Our fourth anniversary is coming up soon, but this is our fifth calendar year, and we've crossed decades, damn it. And I want to thank y'all so much for supporting this show as it has evolved and grown and grown and grown. And this audience is growing. And little by little by little by little by little, all of y'all motherfuckers are finally starting to get on with this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting episode 107. Be back here for episode 108 of the People's Podcast. My name is Jay Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. Remember to help control that pet population and adopt, don't shop. And we are out of here. Until next time for episode 108. Goodbye, everybody. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is a presentation of JSC Media. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.